Good morning, church family. The Merry Christmas Sunday to you all. For as I shared last week, today we will be taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming in the Gospel of Mark in order to be looking today at what else, church? The Christmas story, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we will be doing so today on Christmas Eve and next Sunday by working our way through a couple familiar passages from the Gospel of Luke. As today I'll be preaching on the foretelling of the birth of Jesus Christ. On Christmas Eve I'll be preaching simply on the birth of Jesus Christ. And next Sunday, Pastor Ricardo will be preaching on the reactions of those who saw the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, as for today, church, we will be looking specifically at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, or again at the foretelling of the birth of Jesus Christ. However, before we get to the text, I'd first like to offer you all some brief context here, since the foretelling of the birth of Jesus Christ actually takes place almost immediately within the Gospel of Luke. And by that I mean outside of a brief introduction and dedication, the only other thing we see in the Gospel of Luke before our text this morning is this narrative about the foretelling of the birth of of John the Baptist, who, as we all know, church, from our study of the Gospel of Mark, was the forerunner for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And thus, very briefly, church, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke, it goes something like this. For when John's father, a priest by the name of Zechariah, was on duty one day and was chosen, Luke chapter 1 verse 9, to enter the temple of the Lord in order to burn incense, an angel appeared to him and said to Zechariah in verse 13, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Verse 16, for he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. However, Zechariah church, he responded to the angel by saying to him in verse 18, well, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And as in saying to the angel, for how can this be since we are both like really old and giving birth at our age pretty much seems impossible, i.e., I don't really believe you. And believe it or not, church, that response didn't exactly thrill the angel here who responded back to Zechariah in verse 19 with this. For I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you good news. Therefore, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. Because you did not believe my words. And just like that, church, Zechariah the priest, he came out of the temple and was unable to speak. Nevertheless, as promised, after these days, verse 24, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, did indeed conceive just as the angel Gabriel had said, 
even though she was, verse 18, advanced in years. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, you can always completely trust in the promises of God, because even if they seem impossible to man, they are never impossible for God. Christian, you can always completely trust in the promises of God because even if they seem impossible to man, they are never impossible for God. Thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to the Gospel of Luke as this morning we will be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And if you are joining us today and do not own a Bible, then please know there is a Bible located in the chair in front of you this morning with your name on it. Therefore, please feel free to grab that Bible, to use that Bible, and to even keep that Bible as our gift to you today. And to turn your brand new Bible to page 855 and join us as we as a church body hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in the Gospel of Luke today looking specifically at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, where the author, Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you this morning as we read this wonderful text from your word from Luke chapter 1 about your Son conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the one who we would call holy, the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
Father, it is impossible for our limited and finite minds to grasp this entire narrative this morning. But even if we can't grasp every intricacy and everything that took place in this and all your supernatural and miraculous workings, God, Father, I pray that we have faith in it, that we take you this morning, God, at your word, no matter how improbable and amazing and astonishing it might be. Father, I pray that you build this wonderful flock up this morning in the unity of the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of this word, through hearing the gospel, that their faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is strengthened like never before. Father, I also pray this morning that you help me deliver this message. Father, I am a sinner. I am weak. And I pray that you send your spirit this morning to help my lisping, my stammering tongue, to help my thoughts, to give them the beauty that you have communicated in your word. Lord, so that you, above all else, be glorified this morning. For that is my prayer, that you, Father, be glorified as Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, although born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. Although born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. Verses 26 through 33, which reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So as we see in verse 26, it says that in the sixth month, meaning the sixth month that Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel, who initially told Zechariah that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son, he again appears in our text today. However, this time he doesn't appear at the temple, nor in Jerusalem, nor before some religious leaders or priests. But this time, the angel Gabriel appears in Galilee in a little city called Nazareth before a young virgin girl named Mary, who at this time was betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was church, verse 27, of the house of David or part of the family line of King David. 
Now, the text also mentions here, church, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed at this time, not dating at this time, not engaged at this time, not married at this time, but betrothed at this time, meaning that the parents of Mary and Joseph had likely at this time agreed in a legal and contractual way that Mary and Joseph were to be married. However, at this time, they were still not officially married, and thus Mary was still a virgin. Nevertheless, with that background information now in place, we see then in verse 28 that the angel Gabriel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, it is not every day that a glorious angel who has been sent by God just shows up out of nowhere, into your presence in order to give you a message. Therefore, naturally then, church, this young woman named Mary, she was, verse 29, greatly troubled at this and is left here trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In essence, is left trying to figure out for what exactly is this angelic being trying to tell me, all while I am sure trying to keep herself calm and self-regulated as reverent fear and awe and veneration or just naturally coursing through her body at this time. And thus the angel Gabriel here, he then says to Mary in verse 30, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. Meaning as John MacArthur put it, Mary has nothing to fear here because Gabriel has come to her with a message of blessing, not with a message of judgment. For God has sovereignly chosen to use her to carry out his redemptive purposes, but not because of her own merit or worthiness, but because of his own sovereign grace. To which you might be sitting there this morning thinking, okay, so how exactly is God going to use this Mary in order to carry out his redemptive purposes? And the answer to that question, church, well, it comes to us in verse 31, which says that Mary was going to conceive in her womb and bear a son, and that she shall call his name Jesus. Now, just think about that for a second, church. That Mary, a virgin who had never had any type of sexual relations with a man before, is now being told by this angel who is bringing to her a message from God, mind you, that somehow and some way that she now is going to conceive and bear a son. I mean, that alone is a lot of information to take in and to process and to try to make sense of in one day. However, church, that is just the tip of the iceberg, if you will, in terms of the astonishing information that this young virgin named Mary was going to have to process on this day. And I say that because the angel Gabriel, he then goes on to share with Mary in verse 32 that this child would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High God. And he would be called the Son of the Most High God, church, because 
He is the Son of God, as in truly God, as in God incarnate, as in the Word made flesh who would live and dwell amongst us, and who would, verse 32, be given the throne of his father David, and verse 33, reign over the house of Jacob forever. In essence, and to put this all together here, church, this child that the Virgin Mary would bear is the promised Messiah from the line of David, 2 Samuel 7, who would not only save his people from their sins, but who would reign over his people in a kingdom that will have no end, but instead will endure forever and ever and ever. Therefore, let us all marvel and wonder and be in all this morning, church, of this promised child, Jesus Christ, who the Virgin Mary would ultimately bear. Because although he took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of man, Jesus Christ was, is, and forevermore will be the Son of the Most High God, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of the nature of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, church, and thus must be without a shadow of a doubt, Emmanuel, which means he is God with us. Which brings us to point number two. If a virgin giving birth to the Son of God seems impossible to our finite minds, then let us never forget that nothing is impossible for our God. If a virgin giving birth to the Son of God seems impossible to our finite minds, then let us never forget that nothing is impossible for our God. Verses 34 through 37. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So in our introduction this morning, I introduced you all to a priest by the name of Zechariah and the father of none other than John the Baptist, who when told by the angel Gabriel that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son, he didn't exactly respond to that message in faith. In fact, in essence, saying to Gabriel, I do not believe you, verse 20, whereas Mary, on the other hand, when she received her astonishing and breathtaking and downright stunning news from the angel Gabriel that she, as a virgin, was not only going to conceive and bear a son, but that this child would be called the Son of the Most High God. Unlike Zechariah, Mary here, she does not disbelieve or doubt this news, but instead, She simply says to the angel Gabriel in verse 34, For how will this be, since I am a virgin? Because although Mary is young and innocent and youthful, she is no fool, church. 
Meaning, as R.C. Sproul puts it, Mary absolutely understood the laws of nature here and the laws of conception here, and she absolutely knew how women got pregnant here. Therefore, although she believes the angel Gabriel here in the message that he shared with her from God, that does not mean, church, that she understands how any of this is possible. Therefore, the angel Gabriel, he responds to Mary's question in verse 35 by saying to her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, this does not mean, church, as one commentary shared, that God somehow sexually impregnated Mary, for that is downright blasphemy, but instead that by the power of the Holy Spirit, a body would be prepared for the Son of God, who would then ultimately be brought forth by the Virgin Mary. To which you might be sitting there this morning thinking, okay, So how exactly can any of that be possible? Because as previously mentioned, that doesn't exactly jive with the laws of nature or with the laws of conception or with the laws of science concerning the birth of man. However, church, what we must never fail to forget here is that we have a God who not only created all things and who knows all things and who sustains all things, withholds all things, and keeps all things, but that we also have a God who was, is, and forevermore will be sovereign over all things, meaning that we have a God, church, who can operate perfectly and efficiently and completely in ways that our world's science and philosophies and wisdom will quite simply never be able to grasp. And thus, because of that, David Burgess, he shared this story about a German Bible translator by the name of Gotthold Solomon, who one day, while he was in his study, lifted up his eyes from his book, and to his terror and consternation, saw his son standing on the outside window ledge, in danger of falling to the ground and being dashed into pieces for the lad had been anxious to see what exactly his father had been doing for so many hours each day in his study. And thus, by ladder, he managed with boyish dare to climb up to his father's window. And Gotthold, trembling as he helped his little boy climb into his study, thought, so often have I tried to climb into the council chamber of God to see how exactly he did this or understand exactly how he did that and thus have exposed myself as well to the potential of falling to my own destruction. For if we could only say, I will simply trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. Now, as someone, church, who has sat through classes, listening to professors and to doctors and to PhDs attempt to explain away this idea of Jesus Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit and or making light of the virgin birth by saying pompously that, of course, Mary had to have had sexual intercourse in order to conceive and to bear this child named Jesus, since that is the natural way of life. You have no idea, then, 
how much joy it brings me, church, to stand before you this morning and to share unapologetically with you all as we see in verse 35 that this whole idea that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit means that this conception process, if you will, was not ordinary, church, nor was it typical, church, nor was it common or regular or conventional, church, and that it met all the natural laws and principles and standards of our day. And I say that because as we clearly see here in verse 35, Jesus Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit was without a shadow of a doubt a supernatural act of God. And this is so important for us to grasp church and to affirm church and to never, ever, ever compromise on church that Jesus Christ was conceived miraculously and supernaturally by the Spirit of God, because that means then, church, that Jesus Christ did not, under any circumstance, receive a sin nature, nor the depravity of Adam, nor the fallenness of man, but instead, because he was indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit, and not that of sinful man, Jesus Christ then can be born as truly holy, church, and thus, verse 35, is the sinless Son of God. And all this can take place, brother Christian, sister Christian, outside of the laws of nature, outside of the laws of conception, and outside of the laws of science as we know it, because our God, he is omnipotent and impeccable, omniscient and immutable, transcendent and even that of eternal, and the sovereign over all, which means then, church, verse 37, that nothing will be impossible for our God. For listen to that verse again, church, verse 37, and this time hear it, and dwell on it, and meditate on it, and love it, and behold it, and absorb it, and find absolute peace, comfort, rest, and trust in it, that nothing will be impossible for our God, meaning that he has the power, church, to do anything as long as it coincides with his nature, his character, and his attributes. Therefore, church, when you hear that God sent his Son into the world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, in a stable root to a father of the lineage of David, in order to defeat the temptations of the devil, bind the wounds of many, and live a flawless and sinless and perfect life, whereby he would then take mankind's sins upon himself, be crucified on a cross at Calvary, and three days later be raised from the dead and offer salvation to all who believe in his name. You do not need to be embarrassed by that, church, because even though those claims are incredible and astonishing and amazing and stunning and even that of breathtaking, are they impossible, church? Absolutely not. And I can say that confidently, assuredly, categorically, and without reservations, because nothing, church, and I mean nothing that our God says, wills, or promises will will ever be impossible for our God. And thus, as we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian being that you just heard me say that nothing is impossible for God. 
That means then, non-Christian, that God can take sinners like you and like me and forgive them of their sins, clothe them in a righteousness that is not their own, and reconcile them back to himself forever as his beloved children. And he can do that, non-Christian, because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world as truly God and as truly man to initially live for you the life that you could never live. Meaning that although Jesus Christ was tempted by sin, just like you and I, he, Jesus Christ, never ever sinned, but instead lived a holy and righteous and sinless life here on earth, whereby he kept the entire law of God perfectly and completely, and he did it non-Christian for the children of God. However, Jesus Christ, he didn't just come into this world non-Christian in order to keep the law for us, but additionally, he also came into this world in order to pay the price for our redemption. And thus, since the wage of our sin is death, or since the cost, the price, the debt of our sin is that of death, Jesus Christ, willingly then non-Christian, was nailed to a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. However, non-Christian being that Jesus Christ never sinned, God the Father then accepted Jesus Christ as a sinless and flawless and perfect sacrifice on behalf of his children. And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead non-Christian or buried in some grave, but instead he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and displayed to the world that he indeed defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever, because nothing is impossible for our God non-Christian. Therefore, repent and place your trust in Jesus Christ. Christ. And today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sins and given the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, we'll close this morning by looking specifically at verse 38 in our text, which reads, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So just to make sure we are all on the same page here, church, the Virgin Mary at this point in the text has had the angel Gabriel appear to her and tell her that she was going to bear a son, and that he would be holy and great and literally be the Son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. And thus, what on earth must have been going through Mary's mind here? 
I mean, like, who on earth is ever going to believe me? Or is Joseph now now going to leave me? Or could this possibly be even the end of me? And I say that last one, church, because for a woman to get pregnant before getting married, or even when she was simply betrothed, within this historical context, church, that was seen as adultery and was ultimately punishable by death. So yeah, this whole situation has the potential to bring about a lot of trouble for Mary, a lot of hardship for Mary, and really that of downright catastrophe for Mary. And yet, even with all that potential catastrophe just hanging over her head here, the Virgin Mary, she responds to the angel Gabriel by simply saying to him in verse 38, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. In essence, Mary is saying here that, God, your ways are higher than my ways, that, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and that you are my Lord. And thus, it doesn't matter if I understand your ways, your thoughts, your promises or not, or even if Joseph now might leave me, or if shame now might follow me, or even if death now might come for me, because I, Mary, above all else, am a servant of the Lord, and thus will humbly submit to your ways, God, above all else, believe in your promises, God, above all else, and Follow your plan, God, above all else, because your word, your will, and your ways, Father, are always best, no matter what here on earth might happen to me. And thus the question that I want you, each and every one of you, to be confronted by this morning is this. For are you, brother Christian, sister Christian, content this morning to simply take God at his word, to believe in his promises and to trust in his plans, even when they are hard to figure out, make sense of, and understand? Or are you instead, Christian, embarrassed by God's word, ashamed of his commands, and ultimately humiliated that the ways of God don't always fit perfectly into the scientific methods and laws and ways of man? So as we leave here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, let me encourage you all this morning, especially during this Christmas season, as you chat with family members who don't believe in a divine or holy or sovereign God, or as you converse with co-workers who think the birth of Jesus Christ is just some kind of made-up fairy tale, or even as you dialogue with your secular friends who have no problem telling you that nothing about the Christmas story could have possibly taken place some 2,000 years ago, that you do not lose heart, but that you instead ground yourself in the fact, as revealed to us in the infallible word of God this morning, that nothing, church, is impossible for our God. And to then walk in faith, Christian, resolutely accepting the word, the ways, and the will of God for your life, no matter the cost. Because in the end, we know that our God is God, church, and that he is good, and that he loved this world so much that 
that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will instead have everlasting life. For that is the heart and the power of our God, church. Therefore, always be willing to take God at his word. No matter the odds, no matter how improbable, or no matter how mind-boggling you think it might be, because there is nothing, church, and I mean nothing that will be impossible for our God. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body continue to press on in the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For we know, Father, that this is the time of year that the secular world loves to poke fun at the Christmas story and call it made up and make believe and a fairy tale, a fable, and a figment of our imagination. However, Father, you make no room for compromise when it comes to your word. Therefore, if you said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God, born of the Virgin Mary, who will ultimately save sinners from their sins, then quite simply, let us lean not on our own understanding, but instead, let us simply be willing to take you, God, at your word. For you are our master, and we are your servants. Therefore, whatever you say, Father, let us boldly accept and believe and trust, no matter how improbable and no matter the cost, since we know that you are good and that nothing is impossible for our God. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we sing this Christmas season, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. The Word, Jesus Christ, the one who created all things and who sustains all things. It is He, Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to live and to dwell amongst us. Jesus, the name Yahweh saves, and He was named Jesus because He would save, his sin, save sinners from their sin. He is king, he is God, and he is sacrifice who would reconcile us back to himself by living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we couldn't do so that we could be brought back to your table in fellowship with you forever. Improbable, yes, but impossible for you, God, absolutely not because all things, Father, are possible for you. Amen and amen.